Hello, once again, we are working on a theme song, right? We are. Huh? What? Don't you do that. Give me the finger. It's our technician. Yes, you did. See, now he's a liar. Alright, great. Now I gotta fire somebody. And that's what this kind of goes with right now. I was getting ready to feud with my technician on here. And that's the theme for today's episode is feuding. Some feuds that I knew about and some feuds that I didn't know about. Before we get to that, let's get to the quick headline. The top news I saw that I was really, really excited about. And the way it was presented to me was how Liam Neeson is thinking that the Naked Gun reboot is going to be a career ender. It's like, what? Naked Gun reboot? That's right. Seth MacFarlane is in talks to reboot Naked Gun. And it may be rebooted with Liam Neeson. In which he may be making fun of his movies that he's known for. Like Taken. Taken 2. Taken 3. The ones where he's not playing the character from Taken, but he still looks like he's from the character in Taken. I don't know what these things are. If you, if you put the, the, the DVDs right back to each other, they, they do pretty look like, you know, they would be the same character. But, so that's, that's, that's really great news. And you like to think that, because also in the news is, the Orville will be coming back in June of this year, finally. Their third season, marking their first season on Hulu. Uh, I had the first season on DVD. I don't have the second one yet. Have seen it on TV. Uh, but they've been working on this, you know, third season for the longest time. They, they were in the middle of filming it. And the pandemic happened. Like, one of their scenes he knows is going to look different than the next shot. And you just, you know, this is before Peacock started. Because I remember Jimmy Fallon was talking about this with Seth. Um, when Seth MacFarlane had a Peacock show. He, Peacock just started. And Seth MacFarlane had this show. So it's already the beginning of Seth MacFarlane moving from Fox to NBC. Which is kind of a feud. Kind of a quarrel. I wanted to talk about several of my favorite actors that I didn't know were feuding. And if I did know they were feuding, like one set, I knew something was different. And the other one, I had no idea. And it kind of puts me in the mind of when I found out about Adam McKay and Will Ferrell. And I had to go on a whole show on that to discuss how that is kind of conflicted how I see Adam McKay and basically whenever I hear about him. You know, his most recent movie, Don't Look Up, got several Oscar nominations. My sister was reading off the list the other day to me. And they didn't get any for acting. So that's great. But they did get for Best Picture somehow. So when I first heard about that... Um, it was kind of like I knew something was going on. And I didn't know the answer. I, I didn't know that uh, Will Ferrell had wanted to be part of a project, and Adam McKay kind of went in over his head. We discussed that. This made me think about the direction of the different careers they've had, their paths. Um, I just think that if Will Ferrell sticks to what he's doing now with the right people he's working with, he may achieve what he wants. Um, he was recently on a show on Apple Plus. 
the shrink next door. And I think as long as he keeps up with that pace and shows that kind of acting that he can um, achieve, then his goal of, you know, one day going to the Oscars and people taking him serious. I, I don't know what's in his mind of what kind of actor he wants to be because, for one thing, he's a comedian from Saturday Night Live. That's going to be a common theme um, that I'm also going to get into here soon is Saturday Night Live. When you grew up with these people, you know, you, you only go based off what you see, right? I don't I don't know Will Ferrell. I don't know Adam McKay. And I, I, I sensed something behind the scenes was going on. Then there's another set of my favorite actors that it really didn't hit me. Maybe there's a couple projects where I kind of thought, huh, he's in this... And he had nothing to do with... I mean, you like to see friends be friends. Like, all of Adam Sandler's crew stays true. And he keeps getting more and more friends every year. Again, adding to the list. Now Jennifer Aniston is part of his crew. Kevin James didn't always used to be part of his uh, movies. But now he is. So you'd like to see uh, a camaraderie of the people involved in these projects. Especially if they're putting together passion projects. You think they want to do projects with the people that they love. And then that gets reflected when you see it. I grew up loving Saturday Night Live. And getting into all the different kinds of people. Uh, because, for one thing, Saturday Night Live had been on for years. So I had enough to work with of the Bill Murrays, the Dan Aykroyds, and I, I say it's in plural form because some kind of overlap where they kind of do, like, the Chevy Chase. They have egos. A lot of these people have egos. And I think it's part of Saturday Night Live to kind of have, like, a, a what starts off maybe like a sarcastic version of yourself, and then all of a sudden it just turns into you. You get self-absorbed. Or some actors may not be interpreted that way. I immediately got into Mike Myers. I love Mike Myers. And got into Austin Powers. I think I got in, I got into it on videotape. Did not get to see it at theaters, obviously. And, but we did quickly get into the other movies. Um, Spy Who Shagged Me and Goldmember. I got into this stuff. I loved it. Loved Saturday Night Live. Loved the skits. Loved... Mike Myers' characters, Wayne's World with Dana Carvey. He goes on to be part of Shrek, which changes his life uh, because there were so many Shrek movies, and the Shrek movies themselves kind of set standards of what, how far you could take an animated movie in storytelling, jokes. Um, they reached the Oscars, you know. It, it, it was, you know, it, it wasn't a Pixar movie. They got to be part of. The Academy Awards. It was a DreamWorks movie. So it was a different world. It changed the career path for both Mike Myers and Eddie Murphy. It's, it's very interesting, the cast of Shrek, actually. If I could just quickly go into that. Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy. Even John Lithgow had a really uh, interesting career path. Going from, going from movies to television and to plays and back to television. And Eddie Murphy kind of had a Really great career at the beginning of the 90s. 
And then something started happening in the early 2000s where his movie choices, his, his ideas just didn't do very well at the box office. Which overall makes it look like that his career was going downhill. Now he's more selective in what he does. All these people are in the same movie. It's kind of like Mike Myers. Mike Myers, once he made the Austin Powers movies, he stopped doing that stuff. It became, well, what is going to happen to Austin Powers 4? And also you watch all those movies and it's like, where is... Mike Myers' friends. And he's lost a lot of people. He has lost a lot of people. You know, Chris Farley was a friend of his. He was on in that era. He has memories of Chris Farley. He has memories of Phil Hartman. I love Phil Hartman. I can just only imagine how that would make him feel going all through his life, working with these people and losing these people. A lot of the Saturday Life people have lost a lot of people. So the awesome power movies come along and I don't know if you think anything about it, but it's like, you know, where is Dana Carvey? And I think I maybe thought that maybe, um, I don't know when, I just was kind of curious, you know, wait, where's Dana Carvey going? His movie choices, you know, I think he was in a movie Clean Slate at the beginning of the 90s. You know, his, his movies didn't really make him the lead. He gets to do Master of Disguise, which actually showcases everything that he is capable of. And he is talented. But I think the way that Master of Disguise was presented, it just looked like it was destined to fail. Sorry to say Dana Carvey, but it, it, it does kind of look like that. But Dana Carvey means a lot to me, too. Very torn about it. That these two people, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey, could, you know... I. I didn't think anything about it. Adam became Will Ferrell different because I, I kind of sensed that they were not only friends, but they became partners. They actually started a business together. Mike Myers and Dana Carvey did not start a business together. Um, they had Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2. Then you don't see them. It's like, but there's a reference that uh, Dana Carvey does sneak in to do an impression of Eddie Murphy as the Donkey and Shrek. So he throws that in there maybe as a fun little quip. He's been through some stuff. Um, he had a show called The Dana Carvey Show. Again, spot. it was a huge spotlight on what he could do. But that show, my sister got me the show, and we've seen many of the episodes, and they kind of go into different kinds of jokes about Princess Diana before Princess Diana passes away. This so much of a controversial thing that he ends up actually doing a documentary on this and I've always wanted to see it ever since I've, ever since I've heard about it I've wanted to see it on Hulu this documentary about the Dana Carvey show but you don't think anything about you know were they were there were they partners or was there a falling out and I guess most recently Dana Carvey has stated where it all started and if somebody were to tell me that this was, like, not by accident, like you, you can see things like, you, you see actors, your favorite actors, always say they just don't walk in the same circles as these other actors. So they never work with them. Or why, you know, we're friends for years, we've never made very many movies together. Will Ferrell, John C. Riley made a lot of movies together. And they stopped making movies. And it's like, that that friendship, is there, is there a friendship still there? And apparently 
there is more of a friendship still there than there is with Adam McKay. It's just completely gone, fizzled out. So when I hear that Dana Carvey and Mike Myers did have a falling out, my first thought is it has to maybe do something about uh, because my, I know Mike Myers is into British accents, and Dana Carvey is into British accents. And for, wh for whatever reason, I just thought, maybe Mike Myers stole a character, or Dana Carvey stole a character. One of them did. I, I, didn't, I didn't really want to accuse one more than the other, but if it was probably going to be somebody, <laughs> it it would probably be more likely that uh, Mike Myers would get accused of stealing from Dana Carvey. Why do I say that? Because Mike Myers is in the spotlight more. And those entitled in the spotlight, um, if somebody comes forward and says, hey, that person ripped me off, the person in the spotlight is not going to lose their ground. The person that's accused, the person that's accusing of something of wrongdoing, they're not taken seriously. There's another situation I don't really want to bring up that's too controversial between two actors that my sister and I really like. Um, again, it changes my um, my view on them when I see them. Uh, so the question is, uh, after learning what I'm about to tell you about Dana Carvey and Mike Myers, does it change my view on Mike Myers? So let's let's get to this. I already knew towards you know after Wayne's World two and all that. I knew that. Dana Carvey had a complication during surgery. In 1998, he had a double bypass surgery, and it had gone wrong, and he had to sue over it. So I did know that there was stuff that in his personal life that kind of stopped him from working, and he wanted to raise a family, and that's the direction that he went. So this whole feud between him and Mike Myers was a whole mess of things, and it was all based off the idea... That Wayne's world, they had these characters, Wayne and Garth, okay? Saturday Night Live characters. So popular, they got their own movie. The first one did so well that they wanted to do a second one. There's different things swirling around saying that the movie was, called, was halted because they couldn't agree on a script. Apparently, Garth played by Dana Carvey, wasn't in it much. And Mike Myers claims that, no, there were holes left in the script for Garth to pop up in. But they couldn't agree on the script, threatened to delay the movie. You also have the director of the first Wayne's World, who doesn't want to work with Mike Myers again, because she basically stressed him out. Mike Myers is hard to work with. I don't know if you ever knew that about him. Um, but he had different things going on in his life. Uh, Mike Myers, personally, when the first Wayne's World came out, his father had just passed. And it really got it really got to him that his father couldn't see him become so successful with this. So he struggled with that. So they, they go on later to try to make Wayne's World 2 and eventually get it settled and, and get it out of the way. And there was a lot of money involved in Wayne's World 2. Apparently both Ben Carvey and Mike Myers had like six-figure paychecks for the first movie. And 
rumors are going around at the time that they're going to make millions for the sequel. So you have Mike Myers, who's hard to work with. He's a perfectionist. The director has a fallen out with him. Doesn't want to come back. Very unclear about, you know, how they did come back together for MTV. And, you know, I think they recently were in a, a, a Super Bowl commercial. Not too long ago. So now Mike Myers has recently came out and said that he has missed being with Dana Carvey all these years. But it's, it's just something that I never really thought about, or I, or I felt like I had to understand what was going on. I knew something was kind of missing, but I, I just didn't think anything of it. I, I knew, like I said, of the surgery, and I, I knew that Mike Myers' career was going into a different path, you know, just voice acting. He wasn't taking on a lot of acting roles. And when he was, it was these odd parts. He's like in one of Quentin Tarantino's movies, and, and which is an odd fit for him. But when you see him, it's you see that kind of character that he has always kind of like wanted to play in a serious, more tone. Dana Carvey's kind of gone into a different kind of direction. Now he's heavy into the podcast world. And most recently seen him collaborate with Stephen Colbert. He plays Joe Biden. Or he, you know... Now we have more people playing Joe Biden these days, but Dana Carvey was one of the first ones. Jim Carrey tried, but Dana Carvey got it a little bit better. It is fun to watch Dana Carvey interviews because he hasn't changed. You know, that was how we used to see him talk to Jay Leno. He loved talking to Jay Leno on The Tonight Show. So you have those kinds of people that stay in those worlds that they're those kinds of friendships. And that was a friendship that I didn't know exactly what happened there. Um, but I, I guess things have sort of settled. Still kind of unclear. But he just had to felt like he had to let everybody know what was going on with that. Those are people that I've known for most of my life. Like, know of. Another quarrel that I didn't know I had to even think about and now that when you watch the show, you could probably think, eh, maybe that does make sense. But Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. Now, before I read this article, Martin Freeman popped up in another article. But I was very intrigued by the wording of it. And it, I, <laughs> Martin Freeman kind of has like an attitude about him. I, I know he does. He's, he's like known for like flipping off the camera. He pulls all these kinds of pranks. His character in The Office was really, really raunchy. And I know he has this, like, this unsettled version of himself that he knows, he knows the success of things, he knows it. But he doesn't want it to get to a certain level. He's like a really literal actor. You know, you, you, he's known for a lot of stuff. You know, The Hobbit, The Office, Sherlock, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, he was in, like, the first season of Fargo. TV series. Uh, he was on another show on FX. Uh, he's on most recently on a show on the BBC that he's up for a BAFTA for. So he has a lot going for him. And on top of that, he's in a Marvel movie, you know, but has not crossed paths yet with Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. Martin Freeman's going to be the next Black Panther sequel. Now, here's the odd thing I love Benedict. Cumberbatch. 
He's not my favorite Sherlock. And he's one of my favorite actors. He's on like on my top list of actors that I try to make sure my family and I see all or most of his movies. Because a lot of times his stuff does go in other countries. And it's hard to get. Or limited releases. Or streaming things. He's up for an Oscar. We'll talk about the Oscars later. But he is up for an Oscar for The Power of the Dog. He had lots of movies that came out. In 2020 and 2021 and everything. Technically, I knew of Martin Freeman before Benedict. Um, we knew him from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We knew him from the original version of The Office. So the first article that I read is this headline that says, Martin Freeman called Ricky Gervais a child. Or something like that. And the way you, you first read that, you know, if you think about how Martin Freeman would say it, in a joke... In a joking manner, or however you want to interpret it, um, maybe he didn't like enjoy being on the office. You, you kind of get that kind of sense of maybe he didn't enjoy being on the office, but that's not true. Uh, he did enjoy it. He just felt that Ricky Gervais would always go for the laugh, always make everybody laugh in every single take, so much so that he would ruin the takes, and they'd have to stay after like for so long. He's like, hey, if you keep, you know, if you keep making us laugh, we'll never be able to go home. Uh, but he did, he made it a fun environment. And so it was actually the exact opposite of what you would feel about a show. about Or, or what you'd want from the environment of a show. You like hearing things like that. You like hearing that maybe they are maybe friends in real life. We don't really know for sure. But there is that kind of sense that how the show was filmed. The original BBC version of The Office. Everything was done in, in a particular Manner, which set, you know, the president of the NBC American version. And you find out that Martin Freeman actually read for the part of Gareth. Gareth, uh, this character from the BBC office that is supposed to be like the Dwight Schrute of the American version. So he immediately knew he wasn't going to be right for that role, and he ends up getting the part of Tim. And he's so smart at knowing that he didn't want to be typecast as that kind of character forever. So his career goes in a whole variety of different directions and is ever really paying off for him. You know, now that I think about it, probably my, you know, one of the most successful actors you can actually think of that has branched off into several, he's not tied down to one popular piece of pop culture. He's part of everything. There are a lot of other actors out there that kind of could be part of that too. Martin Friedman is part of a lot of stuff that, you know, you just, like I said, all the stuff that I listed, um, one after the other, are really, really popular, popular movies or TV shows. But apparently there's a toxic feud between Benedict and Martin Friedman. And when I say that Martin Friedman is like a literal actor, he, he, he understood that there was popularity around the character of Sherlock. But he felt like it got too big. And it was kind of hard to do. Like, how are you going to do this? You know, the, it was different than your regular kind of TV series. Doing 22 shows. You'd have a half hour show. Do 22 episodes a season. You'd have an hour show. Do 22 episodes a season. Now you're getting to 10, 8, 6. You're getting more and less and less. Sherlock was a very intriguing format because it was three episodes a season 
in about an hour and a half or an hour and 20 minutes each episode. Kind of like three movies. Three movies a year. Three movies every two years. It was really complicated of how they had to go about filming it. So far, there have been four seasons and a special. Total of everything is like 13 shows. 13 movies, basically. 13 full-length features is what I'm trying to get at. But apparently, as, as close as they are on the show, they weren't that close in real life. They weren't friends. They, it, it says that they rarely would spend any time with each other outside of the show. And you, and you look at the show, of what kind of characters they're playing, who's to say that they needed that kind of space to be kind of a method acting kind of thing? How do you play off that you are friends? He has this, if you've ever seen the show Sherlock, which is like the best interpretation of Sherlock as Benedict, as Sherlock Holmes, and Martin Freeman as John Watson. When it gets so dramatic, you, you, you can just see it built up in Martin Freeman of the intensity or even the irritation that Benedict as Sherlock would bring to the character. So this article doesn't really point that out, but I actually could see them not being friends in real life could actually be more helpful to how the show gets played out. But that's not how, that's not the truth. Apparently this all got started because of something that Martin Freeman said and then Benedict's reaction to that. This is first what Martin Freeman thinks of the fan base of Sherlock. He says, being in that show, it is a mini Beatles thing. People's expectations. Some of it's not fun anymore. It's not a thing to be enjoyed. It's a thing of, you better effing do this. Otherwise, you're a C-word. C-word that the British love using over there. That's not fun anymore. It's not a thing to be enjoyed. And then this is what Benedict Cumberbatch replied with. It's pretty pathetic if that's all it takes to let you not want to take a grip of your reality. What, because of expectations? I don't necessarily agree with that. So people were really shocked. Fans of Sherlock were really shocked by what he said. They act like his remarks were scathing, you know, to be against what Martin Freeman said. But actually what Martin Freeman said is actually more challenging. It makes sense, though. It, it, I guess in a way it's kind of like my kind of thinking. You know, you. But I don't have anything successful to build off of. But it, it is kind of like, you know, this hype of stuff that you're in. Probably, probably like the ultimate irony. You want to be successful, right? You want a project to take off. If you're on a TV show, you want the TV show to, you know, go off without a hitch. You know, it launches, and it, and it if it fails, then you stopped. You got to stop doing what you're doing. If it succeeds, you can only build off that. But if sometimes if these, there's these shows that slip through the cracks, they get really super popular, and you still have, like, especially with social media, you can people can get online and say, hey, that person was really cool last night. That person really sucks. That person's not cool. That person, I don't like what they are doing with this character. If this stuff gets in people's heads, I can see how Martin Freeman could not enjoy it because 
he was actually saying that Sherlock was like so popular and it was this it was a lot to live up to. And I could see that, you know, with every, you know, just like with the Doctor Who's, every season that comes along, people get excited about it. But then as the show's on, they're not excited. But then the excitement gets built off for the next season. And they're not excited. And somehow Doctor Who fans or fans of other shows adjust. You know, you either fall out of a show or if a show really hooks you in for the whole run, then you have, then, then it's not boring to you. And obviously this, this stuff has become boring to Martin Freeman. You kind of get a sense of who he is in his interviews. So everything that I read about him, I can really, you know, believe. I, I, I'd be more unlikely to believe that they were really, really best friends if it really came down to it. Uh, Benedict, he got married in 2015. And everybody thought, ooh, Martin Freeman's going to be the best man. And he wasn't. Everybody's like shocked by that. But... Andrew Scott, who plays Moriarty, he was there. He wasn't the best man, but he was there at the wedding. So you, you have once you learn this stuff, another thing that it really puts in the mind of that I completely also don't get. I mean, for whatever reason, Benedict kept Martin Freeman out, or Martin Freeman kept Benedict out. It, it does become, they call it a rivalry. And I think you have to know what you sign up for. When you're on a show called Sherlock, Who's the star of the show? Sherlock. It's not Sherlock and Watson. It's not the adventures of Sherlock and Watson. Going into it, Martin Freeman has to have this kind of... With any show, when you're on a show where the title character is not the character you're playing, you have to know there's some kind of responsibility to, well, the character that you do play can be as important as the main character. But he knows that Benedict's career has really gone on to this whole long thing. But maybe Martin Freeman can't take that. But like I said... Martin Freeman is known for a lot of popular projects. He's part of The Hobbit. So is Benedict. Benedict is the voice of Smog, the dragon. And whereas Martin Freeman is the lead Hobbit. So you have you know, relationships, friendships, partnerships. And then you find out that Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman didn't have any of this stuff. Does it really kind of distort my view of them? Not really. I, 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 you know, I, like I said, I'd be more surprised if I did find out they were really, really good, good friends and hung out with each other a lot. But like I was going to say, this reminds me of another situation of Deborah Messing and Megan Mullally from Will and Grace. The show is called Will and Grace. Um, and they had their run for eight years. And then the end of their show... And when they came back for a reboot, uh, their revival for three seasons, everybody came back. Um, but everybody knew the time that even the show is called Will and Grace, these other characters in the show, Jack and Karen, are just as popular. They get funny lines to say they're memorable. They are staples in, you know, television history. We don't know the behind the scenes that none of them really hang out with each other a lot. And I guess it wasn't too much later that we find out that Megan Mullally and Deborah Messing did not get along. For whatever reason, they didn't get along. And I don't really understand why. Um, sometimes it's obvious if some actors don't want to work with each other 
or hang out with each other. But to get into the idea of politics, if you want to make things political, which is like the automatic thing to think of if somebody's going to go in your opposite direction of thinking or beliefs, no, they're pretty much on the same path politically. You know, both railing against the same government and, and the same administration, making fun of the same administration. Both their stances are pretty much about equal. It's just for, for whatever reason, they just couldn't be around each other. Um, I think Megan Mullally wanted to be friends with Deborah Messing. I think that's what that is. And Deborah Messing just kind of shut her out. Who knows why these people do these things? You know, with the Benedict Martin Freeman, uh, yeah, the Benedict Martin Freeman situation, you can only think it's because method acting. You know, it would really help their characters if they didn't get along with each other in real life. Then when they're forced to be in, like, their best friends, when they have the tense moments of kind of being distant, it's kind of going to be a little more realistic. And maybe there is, you know, that he's more apt to, uh, if Benedict irritates him, it's just the way that Benedict acts. Maybe in some way that's how Martin Freeman thinks Benedict acts in real life. I don't know. Who knows these things? It's very, very odd. I did not know that about Benedict and Martin Freeman. Now, learn about Megan Mullally and Darren Messing changed how I looked at the show. Only from the standpoint of I was watching how they were acting with each other. And it, it didn't really change. You, you know the stuff. You know what's behind the scenes. But it didn't really change their characters. Because they act, they always acted like that towards each other. And I don't think, I don't know how long that has lasted between the two of them. With Benedict and Martin Freeman, that doesn't change how I see them because I know it kind of, I kind of could get a sense. Like, I, I don't, have, I've never met these people, but I could kind of get a sense of the kind of uh, person that Martin Freeman is. And I can actually see him being distant. I, at the same time of having Benedict really popular, you think you have that. You think Benedict's the higher one up, Martin Freeman's not so high up. You think that maybe Martin Freeman is jealous of the popularity of Benedict. Or you maybe think that Martin Freeman just wants to keep his distance. If he has that feeling about him, they act like that's the statement that really set things off. But Martin Freeman has this part of him that didn't like the popularity of it. Now, now what is that? You know, you had a success. You didn't fail. You're only now thinking you're going to fail because you have to live up to the success. But what happened with, with Sherlock? Every season would come out. Fans would still kind of be split on it. Die-hard fans are going to love it no matter what. But for whatever reason, Martin Freeman felt that it was hard for him to get through it and live up to the popularity of Sherlock. But personally, it, it doesn't change my view of them. Um, I, I knew I, I am torn because I know Martin Freeman first, got into Benedict. I collect more Benedict movies just because I think that between the two of them, I think I could be wrong. If they're both going to be pretentious, then they're both pretentious. Let that be. But if between the two of them, if, if one is going to be nice, I'd like to think maybe think that Benedict might be the nicer of the two. Even though both kind of show this odd gratefulness. I think both are grateful, but both 
like they're grateful for what they have and grateful for their careers, but they show it in different ways. Benedict is only getting more successful. Martin Freeman, though, is not failing. He's not, I guess what terms, a loser. He, he's not. He, he isn't. He, he's, he's just as successful as Benedict. Uh, has been around longer than Benedict. His career spans more than Benedict. So it's it just this odd world just with anybody who's young actor, old actor. You know, you can have young actors that come along and all of a sudden they're part of what everybody's talking about. And all these other old actors over here aren't talked about so much. But guess what? Those old actors are more popular and successful than the young actors ever will be. According to... There's different simulations of that, but... You know, these shows that come out here and there, I don't know who a lot of these people are. The British actors that come over here, I'm familiar with some of their work, but I, I more get into behind what they do, like, oh, I find out, oh, so-and-so is, like, a really, really popular actor over there. Doctor Who has branched off into many different kinds of characters and actors that I can get into. But I love Sherlock, I love Benedict, and I love Martin Freeman. I just think that maybe Benedict would show more gratitude towards me liking him than Martin Freeman would. I, li I, 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 I want to say the right things, though, to him. You know, I think I know enough about him to not want to set him off. Like, maybe the first time I'd see Martin Freeman out, I wouldn't approach him. Because I know, or I, I get a sense of knowing. I can't say that I know for sure. I get a sense of knowing that maybe he wouldn't like it. So I just give him his distance. But then at the same time, you don't want to kind of ignore somebody. You don't want to be rude. So is he going to be the kind of actor that goes, okay, the person has ignored me, that's rude, or they given my, or they given me my space? I'd like to play it safe and just give him the space, and, you know, if he wants to be the extra one that say, hi, or hey, then we go from there. I can't see myself seeing any of these people on the street, but, you know, it, it just kind of breaks your mind of who's approachable out there. You like to think that all the people you like would like you back. Like the, the, the people that you appreciate. The people that you respect in the acting world. If you want to be an actor or entertainer. You know, that's what conventions is all about. Going around and meeting these people. You want to meet the right people because you don't want to be disillusioned of how they treat you. You know, we're very particular about the people that we meet. That we meet the right people to not... want A few situations to kind of stand out in my mind, but we, we mostly try to focus on finding the right people that make you feel good and don't make you feel like crap for going up to them and bothering them. Going back to the Mike Myers situation, if I look at them differently. I, I kind of always started looking at Mike Myers differently. I think they're both, like the article also pointed out that they both want to be the funny man, you know, and that was a problem. They both want to be funny men. They both want to be the lead. Uh, you have the money situation. yet creative differences flying all over the place. It's a wonder that Wayne's World 2 got made. Austin Powers changed my life. Only in the terms of seeing how far a character could play. 
multiple characters in one movie. And he really did really well. Mike Myers did really well at that. And it, it just feels true to his life and being brought up with a British father. Again, it can be seen as another passion project for him. His other movies after that, they weren't anything to really, you know, he just had the Shrek movies. So both of their careers kind of stopped for a little bit. I don't know if that was kind of meant to be. You know, between the two of them, maybe Mike Myers gets more work, but maybe Dana Carvey is kind of like, like stand-up comics kind of have this odd insecurity about themselves where they they like the stature of popularity that they are. And maybe they don't want to exceed that. Mike Myers is the more popular one between the two, but even with saying that, both of them are names. Both of them, Siren Life started both of their careers. And they could have been set on the, on the same path. Whatever started with the Wayne's World thing. I don't know, it's just, it's not going to change my view. I think my view already kind of changed by looking at them, but not too much where I had to go for one side more than the other. I think that the way that they broke up, I guess you could say, I valued what Mike Myers did. I valued what Dana Carvey did. I didn't say, I'm going to get into Mike Myers stuff and ignore everything Dana Carvey does, or vice versa. They didn't have a lot of stuff out there. You know, and it was not, it was kind of like it was nice to see him when they were out. And it's still kind of true. You know, Mike Myers was in, most recently in Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, you, you see both of them pop up, you know, randomly. They're not constantly, like, Dana Carvey has his podcast, but they're both not, like, year after year making a whole bunch of stuff. So who, who's to say what the future is to hold of what's going on with whatever Dana Carvey's going to put out there or whatever Mike Myers is going to put out there. But for whatever reason, their careers kind of... I don't want to overuse the word fizzled, but it does kind of sound like both of their careers were kind of going in the same direction and stopped at the same time for different reasons. But Mike Myers had Shrek. I'll always have that. So, yeah, I just thought it was interesting to talk about the different kinds of feuds that are out there. Groundhog Day was last week. The first thing I read was Andy McDowell talking about how Bill Murray would change every take. Every single take had to be something different. Almost to the point that it drove Harold Ramis crazy. And, there, you know, it's Groundhog Day, and, and a lot of Bill Murray's, there's a lot of things when you read up, you just want to stop reading. You just want to stop reading because it takes you out of knowing so much. And I only knew a little by watching, re-watching re Groundhog Day, but I was lucky enough to not find out that they had so much going on behind the scenes between Harold Ramis. Because after that, Harold Ramis and Bill Murray never worked together again. So Groundhog Day kind of stopped that. So I kind of wanted to stop reading while I, while I was ahead on what was going on with that because I didn't want to 
look at Groundhog Day so so differently because that is an important piece of filmmaking. Right? It's, it's, it set the standard of uh, the different kinds of ways you could tell stories and how many times you could tell it, be repetitious, and be original at the same time. So, yeah. I'll, I'll just leave it at that because I, I didn't want to go into much of the Harry Ramis stuff. I mean, there isn't much to say, but for whatever reason, I, I kind of agree with how what the direction that Bill Murray wanted to go into, I understood. And it kind of explains Bill Murray's career, of where he went. His career started going into a different direction. These comedians, these funny people, they don't want to be funny all their whole life. You know, they're starting to be funny in their spare time. But when they get on the screen, they want to show what they can do. You're, you're Bill Murray. You're Will Ferrell. You're Martin Freeman's of the world. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, it has some very interesting stories to tell. Uh, very interesting topics to talk about this past week. We have exciting things coming. Coming soon. Uh, the look of the show is going to be quite different. Uh, hopefully in the next month or so. More on that. Uh, we got to cover the Oscars. I did a show where I covered the nominations or who I thought would get nominated. Now we got to talk about who officially got nominated. And turns out I was right on a few of them. Uh, good and the bad. We'll talk about that. And then later, when the Oscars actually are at the end of March, we'll talk about the winners once we get to that point. So I'd like to thank you for listening thus far. Don't forget to subscribe, if you already haven't, to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm, Breaker, and Spotify. This has been Richard Wigan of the Some Other Uses Podcast. See you later, everybody. Bye.